0: Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, the new action-adventure game from Respawn Entertainment. Taking place between Star Wars Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars A New Hope, players will wield a lightsaber, hone their Force powers, and adventure across the galaxy in hopes of rebuilding the Jedi Order. Become a Jedi in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, available now on Xbox One, PS4, and PC, rated T14.
1: Need sports staff to, to clear the room. Stand
0: up and walk now. Hello and welcome to the Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and joining me in the studio, the proprietor of the Uncut Gems Justice Fund on Patreon. It's Andy Greenwald.
1: Hashtag Justice for Frozen Two.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. That's um, that's the only thing did I see. Came Fantasy up for. was just ripping shots at Frozen Two this morning.
1: Did you see my RT? No, I didn't. With comment. Oh, did you quote tweet? Debate me, coward.
0: <laughs> Go on the big picture. Did
1: he respond? I don't know. He can't. He oh, because he doesn't want to debate you. He doesn't want it. He does not want this smoke. Greenwald here. That is the fifth spirit. <laughs> It's a Frozen 2 reference.
0: Andy's here. We are going to talk. I mean, we could talk a little bit about Oscars if you want. I know that you have seen three movies this year.
1: I would like everyone to know that I am caping up for Frozen 2 because it's excellent. Mm -hmm. Because as the highest grossing animated film of all time from the juggernaut that is Disney, it is an underdog. But also because I was thinking. (laughs) Listen, listen, soundboard. I was thinking this morning. Have you seen that Elsa has gone dark? She was always dark. That's what you people don't understand. What what I'm trying to say here is, I was thinking about. It was this very morning. disturbing for my four year old Mando. I can wait.
0: No, go ahead. Sorry, I got, I got plenty of time. Shout today. out to every whoever put together that, <laughs> that SoundCloud. I'm so glad that I am now part of SoundCloud. Rats,
1: support that person's Patreon. There's a
0: there's a SoundCloud uh, a file of of all my Mando.
1: All my grief. It's really amazing.
0: Go ahead. So you were saying.
1: No, I was just saying that I was thinking about it. And this is obviously a extreme year. It was a very busy year for me. Frozen 2 is the best movie I saw in the theater this year. How
0: many movies did you see in the theater
1: this year? I was going to say, in your offense, (laughs) it is one of the five movies, all of which I believe are Disney. So you and I. No, that's not true. You you and I
0: saw The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. You saw Frozen
1: 2. Uh Uh-huh
0: what were the other 3? You watched uh, one, Booksmart on a plane?
1: Oh, that's true. Well, no, I thought I said in theater. All right. I did watch Booksmart uh screener and that actually probably was my favorite movie of the year.
0: But you haven't seen all these other movies, so like you know you do know that this year among among others
1: there was a weekend It's weird to
0: be like Booksmart is the best American film of 2019. There was a
1: weekend <laughs> when in Albuquerque where I saw Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh-huh. Regretted that choice. Uh-huh. Saw Endgame. We saw Captain Marvel together. That's right. We went and saw Captain Marvel at
0: like 8 o'clock, and we were both falling asleep. That's about it. Yeah. That's about it for your boy.
1: Yeah. Cinematically speaking. You
0: watched episode one of The Irishman? <laughs>
1: I did. I said I'm stuck on the first episode, guys. <laughs> I set my I set my DVR.
0: Okay, so Greenwald's here, obviously. We're going to talk a little bit about—I I think we'll probably hit Outsider. I, I think is going to come on a little bit mm-hmm. later. He's going to talk Outsider, and he's also going to talk—
1: What's incredible here is I came in, and I was like, Kaya, guess what? I saw a TV show, and I'm ready to talk about it. And she said, I heard. And I was like, no, no, no. You're getting confirmation. (laughs) Chris walked into the studio this morning with a swagger in his step and a bag full of oranges in his hand. It's not even a metaphor. Assuming that I had made good on my promise to watch a new TV show. Did you watch both episodes? See, that was the rub. So (laughs) I hate when they do that. I was like, I am primed. I am ready. Right. I watched The Outsider episode 1 which premiered last night uh-huh. on Home Box Office. Yes. And Home Box um, Office Go. Yeah. Where I watched it. And then I saw they did that they snuck, a, snuck 102 up there. 102 is kind of important too. And I was going to watch it because that's what I wanted to do after watching 101. But you waited until late to start 101, right? 1027 on a Sunday when, when the credits rolled. And I was like, this is... And you had so much
0: Patrick Mahomes tape to break down, too. You just (laughs) had to get that all 22. That's right. Here's the thing, is we could talk about The Outsider. I can talk about Outsider with Concepcion. Concepcion and I are also going to talk a little bit about this Patrick Raddenkief I I can't believe the erasure. Say nothing. I'm not erasing you. but Here Here I am. 102 is definitely a companion piece. (laughs) Well, can we talk about 101? We can talk about it in broad strokes, yeah, sure. In
1: broad strokes? We can talk about it in, in finely detailed Bob Ross brush strokes. I was a cultural podcaster once. Hey man. Young.
0: You always have a home here. This is home base. Uh something more important happened this weekend though. Uh, more important than more important than the Ravens losing to to or anything else Shocker.
1: that happened this weekend. You went to your first TCAs. <laughs> yes, baby's first. As a showrunner. I did. And only my second overall. Yes. Um much to the chagrin of Briar Patch executive producer Sam Esmail.
0: Why? He thinks you should go to the TCAs every year? No, I think to he face thinks the music
1: <laughs> that that may be part of part of it we should unpack that psychology no I think he is very keyed in to this strange reality that I was a TV critic and now I've made this TV show mm-hmm. and so he thinks that I like moved literally like lived in a settlement with other other critics and then right. in the night gathered my teepee and my belongings <laughs> and went to another settlement and so sure. what are the people Just to showrunner village what does everyone else think you mean Los <laughs> Feliz yeah it's just, what does everyone else think you, that you and I did? Damon Lindelof washing your pots in the river. <laughs> but I, but I, I didn't actually. I wasn't a member. I didn't go very often. Mm-hmm. So I and I haven't been like back channeling with people about right. it. So I don't actually have that much. Perspective. You haven't been
0: working the refs.
1: No, not at all. So, so this was not as momentous for the like I was on one side than I was on the other. It was just momentous because it was super intense and weird for me. Because yeah, you know, I think that people who have listened to the show and have put the jigsaw pieces of my psychology together. No, I mean, it's not this not as much fun as making a soundboard, but it's, you know, it, it passes the time. I've really been focused on the process of making this show somehow, and have really enjoyed that. This holiday, this New Year's, really was the last uh, mental block that kept me from realizing that it would be on television. Sure, And so it was, I, I was in my head a little bit.
0: Well, you've gone from pretty much friends and fam and people who worked on the show and people who were actually like working on the post-production of the show yeah. seeing it to now being in a room full of people who had access to... We made
1: eight episodes available. Eight episodes. They were very rough. Um, eight well, of not ten. very rough. They were... Uh, other than Are there the first parts two, of, the, they were of the
0: screeners where it's like it cuts away and it's just you being like, we're not done yet.
1: <laughs> no, but there definitely is some secret ADR where I'm doing an Alan Cumming imitation. <laughs> We, we, we patched almost every hole. Like, the cast was so great. in the last week before the holidays, Alan, like, recording line, new lines on his iPhone from London. Uh, Jane, they all did. They all did, like, iPhone stuff. We got Rosario in the very Just last for the day. screeners? Um or does, well, like, we got iP- Rosario in the studio. So okay. those, that ADR will go. But anything that was done on an iPhone has to be replaced in studio. So, okay. yeah, so it was by just you. for the screeners. By me. So... We tried to patch all that, but it was also produced
0: and voiced by Andy
1: Greenwald. I've always thought this television show works best as a radio play. So it was kind of a scramble to get it at least like polished up a little bit. Mm -hmm. The truth is, I mean, there's stuff in in the episodes. It's so temp. It's not going to make or break. But everybody
0: who's listening to this podcast, for the most part, with the exception of like 30 people. They're not going to see these things.
1: No, and right. and and even the people who did see it won't realize that. Oh my God, that part at the top of 104 is not the ideal music cue. Mm-hmm. I will. Yeah, right. And I did, you know, wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. But... Do you want to
0: do blow by blow? Do you want to do yeah, step by so, step here?
1: So for people who know, or who heard us talk about it last week, this is this very strange but very ingrained tradition where twice a year the critics take over a hotel in L.A. in the winter. It's in Pasadena. Um, have a ballroom, and every day. A network or streaming service takes a day, basically, and unveils. We talked about
0: last week. We did the FX one,
1: right? And so uh, NBC Universal Day was Saturday. The Mm. day began with like Amy Poehler being there to talk about her shows and Golden Globes. Did
0: Amy Poehler walk up to you and say, "Welcome to the Peacock, (laughs) welcome to the family"? She
1: was no longer. She did not make a day of her time in Pasadena. I will say, I arrived midday, just in time for the. Lincoln Rhyme Bone Collector. Oh, yeah. Press conference. That's right. I'm so happy. I, I, I have no value judgment on the show up or down. It could be awesome. As someone who has been dining out on bone collecting jokes for <laughs> a long time now, I'm just happy it's back in the mix. Yeah. Um,
0: bone Collector is the one where the guy is paralyzed and he's in a bed. So he's got like a kind of like mm-hmm. puppet cop that he helps, right?
1: Yeah. I thought it was a sex thing hundred <laughs> percent. And I was saying this to my friend Eva, who, who wrote on Briarpatch, the co-EP, and she was saying um, it's one of her, you know, it, it's a good crime thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just like uh, they maybe wasn't done well in movies and was done well on TV. And she was saying she hopes a similar fate befalls the, the very popular Scandinavian. Perhaps
0: bone collection was always meant for the small screen. Long form television, yeah.
1: And, and, and she said she hoped the same fate befell another favorite of hers, the Scandinavian uh, crime series that begat the snowman, which stars Harry Hole. I said, I also thought that was a second. <laughs> and I that's said, I've been here all week.
0: Legendarily bad Michael Fassbender movie. Yes. Yeah.
1: Which which one? Which one? Le- um,
0: Isn't it strange that he's like one of our great actors yes. and he just like routinely makes which Nick, was Nick his, cage level shit? Which was his. Well, Assassin's um, Creed. That's the one I was thinking yeah, of. Which is pretty stupid. Yeah. And then I guess he makes, you know, decent stuff. He's also trapped in all those X Men movies where they were like, They're we have done to reshoot now.
1: it. I, I, but yes. is there going to be one day... And, until Bob Iger's like, CTC. <laughs> True. At the New Beverly, will there be a double feature of Assassin's Gate and Prince of Persia? Jake Gyllenhaal's bad video game oh, thing? yeah. You That's should right. ask your co-host, Quentin, about that.
0: I, I will next time we hang out.
1: You should also mention that there's another good Rosario Dawson uh, role coming up. So did you listen to that one? There was a silence. <laughs> there, was, there were some crickets there. Should we take a detour to say that it is... Fucking mind bending to me <laughs> that you are podcasting with Quentin Tarantino. It is so exciting and great, and I'm so happy for you guys. It's terrific. I was really like,
0: I, I in retrospect, was very like mad at myself for not being like, look, here's the thing there's a show coming. Yeah. called Briar Patch. You yeah. should watch it. Rosario plays a, you know, a Senate investigator, et cetera. Yeah. But I was so nervous that, like, the Bill-Quentin relationship was about to crater at it's that fine. moment. It's
1: fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. I did. I, I I. really, like, I hope people who listen to The Watch realize this. I, I assume that they do. That you have super fan Quentin Tarantino on for three episodes. Yes. Of the Rewatchables. Yeah, we did. And Dunk this Hurt just an happened because he wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I imagine everything in his life happens because he wanted to. Yeah, wants I don't think he's like, oh, man. It's why Chris and I are podcasting barefoot now. It's because Quentin wanted it. <laughs> um, so, anyway... So, that's the up.
0: TCA's Critics Takeover Hotel. Yeah. Everybody comes and presents their way. And so,
1: we had to get there early. Uh, we had a panel at the end of the day, the last one of the day. Not sure if that's the sweet spot or not, because these critics are exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were at 4.30. But we had to get there early because we had a fuller, a more a more full day of press of one-on-one interviews and group interviews and photos and stuff like that. And the group was me, Rosario, Jay, and Kim Dickens. Mm-hmm. The dream team. The squad. Like, my favorite people. It was wonderful that they... Were there and they could sort of. That time there were three sets of footsteps in Pasadena. That's because they were carrying me. That's great because I got I got nervous. Yeah, and I got to say, I, I got on my suit and I was like, okay, I feel a little better. Like I'm wearing. And you went suit sneakers. Yes, that's that's the brand. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't know if this has occurred to anyone, but the suits, like, hey, this guy's this guy does. Business stuff. And then your eyes go down. You're like, whoa, whoa. This guy, does he play tennis? He's fun. Yeah, right. This guy's fun. But this guy rides horses I, in Mexico. Right? So it worked. This guy probably saw Frozen 2 in the theater. So twice. So I put on the suit, and I was like, okay, here I go. And my wife's like, you look good. And my older daughter was like, that's good. And my younger daughter was running by extremely busy. Busy, busy day putting smaller things into bigger things. <laughs> and I said, younger daughter, how do you think this looks? Uh Uh-huh. she's got a little... very
0: highly developed aesthetic. But also I point
1: wanted point. to like squeeze a little more validation out of the gravy train. You right, know? right. And she does pause, which I was surprised at. She paused and she turned and she looked at me and she looked up. She saw the business. She looked down, she saw the party on the feet. And she said, bad. And then she <laughs> ran off. I was like, "Great!" So, were
0: you shattered by that, or were you able to keep it rolling? You're what like is to- it
1: called when glass gets punched but it doesn't break? It's spiders. Yes. You know? okay. that, that's how I am so all the time. That was the first crack. So, oh, 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 Chris, oh, sweet Chris, that was not the first crack. Then I got in. They sent a car, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not going to blow by blow this entire day. But I like I, this though. But I I did text you about this, and I thought I should share it. Um, I got in this car, and there was waiting out front. And the guy was like, "Oh." Oh hello! You you. I wasn't ready for you. I was like, that's fine. I, you clearly were. You had a car in front of my home. My my children saw you out here, so I was like, I'm going to go. What I'm was he? Well, okay. I think maybe he wanted to be standing or like open the door for me or something. Okay. It was like a fancy town car. I was like, no worries. Play the
0: soundtrack to The Natural as you <laughs> exit your house.
1: So he he begins driving and uh, he says, I said, you know, my my children saw you. And he goes, Oh oh yeah yeah. My um yeah you know it's funny my um. My goddaughter uh, just texted me. I was like, "Oh, family, you know this." I, I actually I like chatting. With, Do you with really? People. Well, because I like chatting about like kids or family stuff. that takes my mind off of anxiety or whatever about the destination. So he says, uh, "I was like, oh, great, great." And he said, "Yeah, she was. Uh, she was in the emergency room last night." I was like, "Oh,
0: oh no!" And you are like, "This is great. Oh, this is going to get me all the way to Pasadena."
1: I am sorry to hear that. And he goes, "Yeah, you know, well, you know, she had a she had a botched surgery a couple months ago, and uh, turns out." She had some uh leakage in her um in her anal, anyway, right to the hotel, so you texted me this, yeah, and I blew by it yeah
0: in 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 the new telling of it, I <laughs> realized this might have been socially awkward.
1: There was a moment midway through the anecdote when I think you realized the path that he was on, but like a good driver, he got to the destination,
0: sure I mean. There there really is only one job, right? And I
1: hope everyone is well. I'm sorry to be mocking what is clearly a medical situation. Mm -hmm. But that put me in a weird place. (laughs) But, like, I I guess I I also blew past the the fact that he was offering any destination I wanted. (laughs) Vegas.
0: Oh, yeah, streets of the hotel. Like, do you want to stop at a bar and get, like, a shot and a beer first? I'm sure he's seen it all.
1: I imagine that's what Jay Ferguson did. Okay, because he arrived, had his hair judged for thirty seconds, and went to the bar. <laughs> the guy's champion had a bloody mary. Okay, on so arrival. you guys
0: get there. It's the four of you, five yeah, of you, four, four of, of you. us, yeah. And you have to do a lot of one-on-one interviews. Did you were the one-on-one interviews like pretty quick, five ten minutes? Like- no, it
1: was the four. We did two group on-camera interviews that were fun, and. Uh, then, then we split. I off. saw a
0: lot of photos, like photos on your Instagram, that yeah. looked like they were outtakes from the like Entertainment <laughs> Weekly away luggage, like sweet, like sweet. Yeah, there
1: were sweets, and then we had to do a red carpet, and then we split up and we did individual interviews. So then I did two great interviews um, that I was excited to do. And people were people listened to the podcast even. Did you do Marin? Uh that day? <laughs> no, but thank you. Okay. I can't even get on the big picture. Did you do Joe Rogan? (laughs) I feel like I'm doing it right now. (laughs) Um, And then it was time for our turn on the on the uh, bone collecting stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you still was there still like a whiff of bone collection there? (laughs) Well, the beauty of it was that Lincoln Rhyme had collected all the bones that had been strewn about the stage. There were none left. So we were we were briefly media trained, which was interesting before going out there, and then we went out there, and it was actually, uh, there was a moment right before we went out, and they were playing the soundtrack, like, I, I got to pick the songs that played in the room, and uh, they, and this is actually the most exciting thing, there's a, we have our own proprietary beer brand uh-huh. on the show, Dungy Beer, uh-huh. named, of course, for the great Ross Thomas protagonist, Chubb Dungy, uh-huh. of the Mordita Man, and uh, it people drank it like water on the show, and they actually made beer Oh did they emotional they handed it out to everyone in the room and they gave them to us to go was on stage. It juice Wolfie, or what? No. Do you know what it was? Like I cannot believe the universe did this. Uh, like a Mexican lager? It was Yingling. What? For whatever reason as a bit they did that No, for you? not as a bit. That was the beer that they got access to or whatever. So they
0: basically went around to get like kegs of Yingling, and no, then it, 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 it was bottom. bottles
1: of the, the the caps were still Yingling caps. They changed, oh. swapped out the labels. I've now opened up NBC Universal to a blistering lawsuit <laughs> from America's <laughs> oldest family-run brewery. Uh, uh. So it was so exciting, and had I not been physically about to leave Earth due to nerves, I would have downed it. Jay did. Okay, <laughs> Jay Jay took care of it on stage. Um, and then we went out, and uh, and it was really nice. It was great. You guys went out afterwards. No, we went out uh, oh. on stage, and we did this, and then there was a cocktail party afterwards. That was that was very nice. And um, saw a friend of the pod, Adam Pally, nice, who was there promoting his show. He's going to call in hopefully in the next few weeks. Okay, and I will I'll save roasting him for the advice he gave me about the event, which he then immediately broke. And uh, other than that, it was yeah, it was, it was quite nice.
0: What's it like to talk about the show? In, like, that weird third person, like, this is, I'm describing something that's, like, somebody else's experience, even though it's mine? It's not, that,
1: that was easy. Um, What was hard, actually, is every single detail of this show, from conception to execution to post to all the, you know, anecdotes that were both funny and maybe stressful. Every single moment of the last two years is bound up in the show, and I remember all of it. Mm -hmm. What's weird is then to have a question that's about one-fifth of a millisecond of one tiny iota of it.
0: Of the experience.
1: Yeah, and I want to answer that question and do right by it, but I also want to, like, share with people all of it, like, mm-hmm. we put it in context, and I, and I realize now uh, the limitations of that. <laughs> I mean, I can't do that. Right. But talking about it is obviously as people who are still listening to this podcast know was fun.
0: Yeah. Were there any, like, questions that you were not expecting that you were like, I don't know how to answer this? Um, There was one. Yeah, any other, any like gotcha questions? Any
1: like, no, people. Do, were, do you support Mayor Pete? People, people were very supportive. I got a laugh out of Kaya. <laughs> Kaya, <laughs> Kaya, do you support Mayor Pete? <laughs> Kaya thinks there should be more billionaires <laughs> in the Dem primary. That is the hottest take. Um, no, I mean, there was a question about the animals on the show. Oh, was yeah. Very specific.
0: About like whether or not they were treated right.
1: No, oh, like that that I, I was ready for that. Were you really? Yeah, um, but it You're wasn't like, about that. When
0: they leave my set, I it, can't. I can't it, was really like, <laughs> it was really more like
1: it was really more like why this animal and not this animal, like a very specific okay thing. And then there was another question that was so good that I actually want to spend some more time thinking about it and maybe reach out to the person about because it. it was like I, I, it was one of those questions that I was very honored to get. It was basically about tropes that we are playing with, right? That may be kind of tired. And why did we choose? Was that to... the dead
0: girl question? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. I saw, was,
1: I saw that. There was a great question from someone about, you know, and, and there's a line, I think it's in the trailer, so I can talk about it, where Jake Spivey, Jay's character, says, There's always a dead girl to mm-hmm. watch TV or watch, you know, go to the movies. Um, here's the trick of Frozen How to survive two. it? Did you see that? Uh, she survives. <laughs> She's not dead. <laughs> the, be- the brilliance of Frozen 2 is there's no villain. Oh, yeah. I think that it's too galaxy brain for you guys with your gems.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Real talk. Could I handle watching that movie? No, like, Not you, at all. No, no right? No, not at all. So, like, why are we even pretending?
0: Well, I think it would make you miss New York, specifically Manhattan, <laughs> like the Herald Square area,
1: you uh-huh. know? Uh, <laughs> sure. I, I a lot of great memories there.
0: Um, I think that you would get a kick out of certain elements of it. Okay. I think, ultimately, watching Adam Sandler be under a ton of pressure for two hours— <laughs> I just like come on. <laughs> it's not your bag.
1: So wait, let's do this before we move on to talking about the outsider. Okay. Because despite your stalling and your protestations, I will talk about a new television I show. I wanna know. I just wanna I wanna hear about
0: what it's like to be on the other side of all this stuff. That's
1: all. All right, all right. Journalists no, you, ask me ask me more questions.
0: Um who is the MVP of your panel? Like who who was like the person who was just like all of a sudden became like a a wonder at handling at parrying questions and like dealing with the press and stuff like that.
1: Well, Rosario is amazing. Yeah, and she always she was, like the beginning of the day. She's like I I did these things for the show yesterday, and I realized I, I I'm oversharing. I need to like pick my spots.
0: Mm-hmm. And then she just doesn't wonderfully doesn't right.
1: Um, she did need to be reminded that we shot the pilot in 2018. She'd been saying 2017. <laughs> um, other than that. In some ways, Jay is the MVP of life because when we got to our first group interview, we were sitting on a couch, uh, and he—no, well, the first one, there were four chairs set up. He found a chair not within the eyeline line of the camera and sat down with his phone streaming the Niners game. No, he didn't. We had to then encourage him to put the phone down to watch. <laughs> oh, join the interview. My God. He did. And then the next interview, we were all on a couch. He set his phone up on the coffee while table while he was. <laughs> On a panel talk, in his defense, an NBC Universal channel was broadcasting the game. Sure, so it was it all was football night in America, all yeah. in the family. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's my personal MVP. Um,
0: I was thinking about him yesterday because did you hear about what they did to Jimmy Johnson
1: yesterday? A, a large man feted. Yeah, him. so th- that- it's become
0: a new thing where they surprise TV analysts with their induction into the football hall of fame. Okay. So on Saturday they did it to Bill Cower where like they were just doing the usual it's halftime a surprise show thing. Yeah. They were doing the That's usual awful. halftime show. That's awful. And then like they they were like, "Well, you know, blah blah blah, and Bill, we have a surprise for you." And like this enormous 6 foot <laughs> 7 man named Don, I think, walks out of like the back and is like, "You are going to Canton. We're making a bust of your head." You know, and your and the families come out. And uh, it was really emotional. But then on Sunday, they did it to Jimmy Johnson. Right. And Jimmy Johnson, like for a second, you're like, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be so corny. And then all of a sudden, like he starts crying and he's just like, oh, my God, like he really has this real emotional moment. And then they cut away back to uh, the Packers game in Wisconsin. To Aikman, right. To to Aikman, who's crying. And I was like, we got to cut to Ferguson now. (laughs) (laughs) Ferguson in a sports bar in Studio City
1: crying. He said something that was just amazing. So he and Kim hadn't seen each other since uh, since we wrapped. And they greeted each other warmly. And then she was like, what are we doing? What are we doing with this game? Because she's a Saints fan. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to know who he was rooting for.
0: Because the Saints were
1: eliminated. The Saints were eliminated. But also, I don't know if you know, the Dallas Cowboys were eliminated.
0: They they didn't get that far yet. No, they
1: they they, they did not win They the were division, not invited to the dance. Unlike the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. So Jay said something that was so rich. For a Cowboys fan to say, which is, I guess I like these Vikings because you know I have to root for underdogs. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> is it, is okay. America's Ronald team? Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
0: Re- Reagan versus Mondale. I gotta I gotta pull for the cowboy
1: here. That's right. So um no, other than that, I mean, like this this is just a very rare and fortunate thing because those three are wonderful people and they kinda they kinda pulled me across the finish line Mm -hmm. and didn't roast me too badly. Let's do the first
0: episode of The Outside. Oh,
1: wait. I want to do one thing before we do that. Oh, yeah, sure. Oscars. Oh,
0: yeah, sure.
1: Just to say, I want to go through the best picture category and this is an incredible, incredible flex for a pop culture podcaster. There are nine nominees. Mm -hmm. Reader. Zero. Zero. Zero for nine. I just want to go through this list Mm -hmm. and I just want to like take our temperature about it. Why don't
0: you tell me what you think they're about?
1: Okay. I'll, it's well for perfect. the most part I've seen trailer. It right? starts with Ford v. Ferrari, which I a million percent thought was about Henry Ford <laughs> racing Enzo Ferrari. And I thought, again It's I, an easy mistake to make. Or one step further, when I found out that wasn't the case, I thought that Matt Damon was racing a Ford car and Christian Bale put on another crazy accent. Mm-hmm and was, uh, was an Italian racer. <laughs> and I thought that was the movie. Uh-huh. That's what I know. I would like to see this. So I, what I also want you to do is I want you to be the, the, the family-friendly script doctor here. Or, family-friendly, or doctor.
0: like we're showing it to the whole family? No, no, World no. No, okay. no,
1: just tell me. Zero, zero for nine. Just, just tell me if I really... If, am I going to see these movies? Okay, right?
0: so Ford vs. Ferrari, I think you would enjoy.
1: I really wanted to see it. It's and like, I wanted to see it in theater because I, I heard the, the sound design is amazing. It's great. Okay. Irishman, as, as, also, first of all... did you
0: know that um, there's this one scene in Ford vs. Ferrari where they're talking, where, where Ken Miles and, uh, I can't remember, the Matt Damon character, Carol Shelby, are talking about what they're going to do about they're going to build a Ford that can race Ferrari and Le Mans. And... Uh, Christian Bale has, like, a throwaway line, which has now become, like, this thing that Craig Kilborn does on his Instagram videos. What? Where Solo told me and Sean about this, and it is, like, I'm obsessed Craig with it.
1: Craig Kilborn has Instagram
0: yeah, videos? Yeah, he does these Instagram videos, and at the end, he just goes, like, Old Man Ferrari! <laughs> I don't know,
1: but it, you're just, like, dancing across cultural touchstones but, that I don't in know. In the movie,
0: Christian Bale's like, You're gonna build a car to beat <laughs> Old Man Ferrari! Okay, I'm in. Yeah,
1: I'm in. You I won't even notice
0: the scene. It's it's so unlike with the way Killborn does it. Th- this, but when Rissola told us about this, this has been like the cultural moment of my year.
1: 1917 might actually have this uh, position locked up. But prior to that, I think Ford v. Ferrari would appear to be the movie that would be the most dickish to watch on an airplane screen. Why? Just because everyone's like, oh, the rumble of the engines in the theater it takes you, have- you over.
0: Oh, yeah, right. Right, it would be stupid to watch right. it on an airplane screen. Okay,
1: It done. won't stop you. No. Well, where am I going? <laughs> uh, the Irishman, again, respect. F
0: 1, you're done. to pa- everyone Great else. pilot.
1: I don't know how it qualified, since it belongs in the miniseries category. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the, the tone of voice you hear now is self-loathing. You know what that one's about, though. It's about I really, Philadelphia Italian I watched, restaurants. I watched, I watched the first episode. I, I will do this one right. I'm so upset I have not Okay. Uh, Jojo Rabbit. Didn't see it. Um, like Taika. Sure. Seems like a lark. I'm (laughs) anti-fascist. Sorry, it's true. Hope you can handle the hard truths. I'll check it out. Just so you guys know, the Watch
0: Anti-Fascist Podcast. Yeah. And if you don't like it, maybe maybe find another pod. Kick
1: rocks, fascists. Uh, Joker, I will never see this movie. Okay. Did you? I did. You excited for its... Ten noms. You
0: should, uh, you should watch it as a double feature with Uncut Gems
1: <laughs> to feel good,
0: <laughs> and then jump
1: at the ocean. Yeah, I would love it. I'm there? Okay, Little Women. Uh-huh. I cannot wait to see. Uh huh. Um, have a screener. Yep. Um, but have not watched it yet. Justice for Greta.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I have not seen Little Women. Wow. Do you want to watch it together? Yeah.
1: Well, let's go see Little Women wanna, in the theater. Do you want to be my Little Wing woman? Um, this is the best part of the podcast in, like, months. <laughs> marriage Story. Saw that. I Saw that in the theater. Wow. You know it's on Netflix. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, pop culture <laughs> concierge. I, I have already said my piece about this. Which was what? We have the a new news? strategy. When we found out that this was a film about a couple with, with a child. Uh, a theater director and an actress whose life is imperiled due to a career driven move to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. I was like let's just go smell the flowers (laughs) life is too short yeah we now have a new strategy Uh in my home where we are going to watch this movie separately and then discuss later (laughs)
0: It's been memed a lot. Do you feel like you'd get it now? Do you feel like you already know what happens Yeah, and it was stuff? weird
1: because until I saw the memes, I didn't know there would be scenes of emotional anguish. <laughs> of a couple in jeopardy. But then I was like, oh, yeah. this kind of marriage. Right. I thought it was an hour and a half of deciding what to watch on streaming television, which is most marriage stories. So you haven't seen Marriage Story? No. 1917, you know, not only did I, I watch yesterday. Dunkirk, Chris, I listened to your fantastic rewatchables of Rewatchables about it? Do I need to see this?
0: I mean, it's a technical achievement. I I don't think I'm as high on it as uh, a couple of other people or right. a lot of other people as a story, but I thought it was quite quite amazing to watch.
1: This is also a theater watch, I would imagine. Yeah, it's. Reason. I
0: think it's like it's just a really cool travel log. Like, um, I think it's like a really really good step by step journey movie. There's a a few things in there where I'm like, yeah, you you've kind of seen this trope in more movies before. But, uh, you know, it's, it's
1: good. Side, I would see it in the theater. Sidebar. Yeah. Um, Do not watch this on a the no. back of a seaplane. Sidebar, I really didn't realize until listening to your Dunkirk podcast, mm-hmm. the, speaking of what's being done to me on this podcast, the erasure of that film in the sort of critical conversation. Uh, yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, Dunkirk? I love that movie. Sure. I, I share um, Sean's skepticism I think, about the Christopher Nolan project. Yes. But... Were you on that Inception podcast? No. No. You weren't. Uh, I was not invited. <laughs> I was on that. I, I the you did best, Zodiac. I did Zodiac. Yeah. That's the only rewatchable. No, you did The Fugitive too. Oh, that's right. What I should be on otherwise mm-hmm. is a podcast called The Watchables, where you tell me if something is watchable. <laughs> I think that's what this is now. <laughs> it is. Um, Dunkirk is great. I loved the way you guys talked about it. Thank you. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. hmm have not seen it. Quick update. My wife watched it on the airplane flight. Okay. There is a moment near the end of the film. I don't think it's a spoiler where, and again, this is, I was at one row back because we were three in one on the flight. It appeared some people were on fire. <laughs> my wife's sitting next to my children watching this, praying that the new episode of Vampirina is riveting enough so that no questions are asked. Sure. Success? Um, So far, I mean, the rest will come out in therapy. Will I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Okay. I'm excited. Yes. I have a screener. I'm going to watch it. You're not a huge QT fan, though. I am a huge fan. I am a fan, but I have not been a fan of his most recent movies Mm -hmm. and this sort of project that he is on of, like, let's write historical wrongs through the magic of cinema. Don't like that. No. I like historical wrongs to stay wrong. Hey,
0: sorry. Sorry. I'm just against
1: fascism. Unless they ended fascism. Okay. So, um, Parasite, wanna, you're
0: going to see wait, and be like, this is the best movie I ever saw. I know.
1: Yeah. I have a screener. I cannot wait. <laughs> do people, fan poll, do people want me to weigh in on these movies in Q1 or Q2 2020? I think if
0: you could chime in before the Oscars, that would probably be best <laughs> for our content plan. How about that?
1: Kaya, note the tone. That is a new tone on the watch. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Are you uh, going to go through every Oscar nomination?
1: Costume design. <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm done. We can talk about TV. I just also, my only other sidebar, cultural sidebar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is what a moment for Brad Pitt, who is probably going to win the Oscar. Yeah,
0: your favorite movie of 2019 was the Brad Pitt, Mark Marin episode.
1: Yes. And Brad Pitt
0: talking about the show Marin.
1: Enter 2020 with the same energy Brad Pitt has meeting Mark Maron and talking about the television show, Maron. <laughs> I cannot believe what it's like to be a golden god like Brad Pitt and to love something so purely. He
0: watched all of Maron yes. three times.
1: And just purely loves it. Like I don't know whether it's therapy, whether he's fr- it's being from the Ozarks and surviving. <laughs> Looking like that, I don't know. But I don't think I've ever loved anything as purely as he loves the television show Marin. It was amazing
0: how in in terms if number ten is the way Brad Pitt feels about Marin, yeah, and number one mm. is how you'd feel watching Uncut Gems. <laughs> how did you feel about the outsider?
1: Seven or eight, yeah, so. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. This is this podcast has been my uncut gem. So
0: the the I'm outsider obviously premiered last night. Two episodes went up last night. I've fe- I've seen a, a few. Uh, How many are there? There are ten. Okay, um, ten. Yes, it wow. is largely written by Richard Price, who is one of my favorite writers, one of Andy's favorite writers. Mm-hmm. Richard Price, who wrote on the wire, who wrote the night of mm-hmm. along with Steve Zalian, and then also. Um, You know, an accomplished novelist who wrote Clockers and Freedom Land and Samaritan and Lush Life, which is my favorite. And he adapted the Stephen King novel, a recent Stephen King novel that was regarded as probably his best work in a long time. And this is a 10-episode, I believe, limited series Mm -hmm. uh, starring Ben Mendelsohn and Jason Bateman. First two episodes were directed by Bateman, and it is about a murder in a small town in Georgia where— It seems open and shut that it was committed by the character played by Jason Bateman, except it is not shut. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there is a sort of supernatural element to it, a kind of deep, unseen evil Stephen King style in the in the show. So why don't you give me your broad strokes of what you thought of the the first episode?
1: What was it was really interesting experience. I knew very little about it. And the first 15 or 20 minutes, I was not aware of it. But I was—I realized later I was fighting it mm. because it definitely was doing some things that I am on the record as not loving. You know, it is very promoting very, fascism. It is very fascist. <laughs> All the trains—there's a lot of train talk—and the trains run on time in this this dystopian vision of Georgia. But at what cost? No, it, you know, it's very dark, and I'm not saying a show about a child murder should be otherwise. Mm-hmm. But it is very dark and very grim and a lot of...
0: Yeah, I've said i said, like, I've, it's hard to recommend.
1: Yeah. Well, both the subject matter and also the way that it's handled is very much... It's very punishing. Yeah. And it's a lot of uh, men with furrowed brows reacting to tough news and, yeah. and all that. And so I felt myself trying to uh, detach. But one thing got me through the first half, and then another thing got me through the rest of it and made me really excited to watch more. Like, okay. I will watch the second episode tonight. Um, the first thing is the craftsmanship and skill is top, top notch. That really matters. Like Jason Bateman has turned into, I mean, he's a very good actor. Mm. I think everybody knows that and now recognizes he's a very good and rare actor that can do comedy as well as drama. He's turned himself into a really phenomenal director yeah. and and TV director. And I say that with real praise in my voice because the skill set for movies and TV are so different. And his coverage of every scene, the insert shots that he chose to get to build a story by showing us glimpses of someone's life like they do in the bedroom of uh, Ben Mendelssohn's deceased son. Mm-hmm. It's really expert. And the whole picture flowed together so well from performance to lighting to the way it was shot, the cinematography that it's one of those things, and I'm living in post still, and so what I'm really looking for is where the seams. Sure. And there are a million percent were. You know, I bet if we had Jason Bateman on the podcast, he'd say, well, we, we didn't get that, and shooting the reaction shot to what happens to the victim's mother in the wide was a stroke of dumb luck, maybe. I sure. I had the camera running, but I intended to do it this way. Who knows? But there was no clearly, like, this didn't seem like ADR. It didn't seem like the time jumping in the beginning was something they figured out later. You know what I mean? It was just so skillful. That it was really engaging to watch on a technical level, which is I'm sure how I will watch 1917 on a cross-country <laughs> flight in row 34. <laughs> yes. The second thing is, man, this is a good yarn. Mm-hmm. And I got really excited by the end of it, not because I really wanted to know what was going on, because this fundamental, like, it's not who done it because they know who done it, but how right. is this possible? That's right. just a great one it got me really excited about the possibilities of masters of certain genres, like Richard Price, who is, as you said, a master of crime fiction and a screenwriter of crime fiction of great, great, great ability, doing something outside of his genre. Mm -hmm. So treating a Stephen King supernatural, what looks like it, will be a horror story to some degree, with the kind of calm, measured, procedural rigidity, and I don't mean that in a negative way, of a police drama.
0: And just good cop dialogue. Yeah. You know, really good, fine, like that's one of the one of his great skills is just like sharpening what is a pretty pedestrian exchange between two two police officers. He's able to find a kind of poetry in the in that dialogue. Yeah. The idea of uh boiled crime fiction meeting some kind of supernatural story about evil, they are essentially the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that it is this sort of pursuit to understand why and how something like this could happen. And, you know, people People look up to the sky and say, like, they ask God why that happened. But what if you had to deal with that on the ground? What if you had to deal with that in your everyday life? So it's it's really, really, really atmospheric, and it's really, like you said about Bateman, like I thought that they did an amazing job right out of the bat, uh, of the gate, establishing the world and kind of shaping the town it's set in, right. and and kind of giving it a, like a weird overcast autumnal feel, but it's still like down south. And it wasn't substituting Georgia for something else. It was like this interesting...
1: No, no one there has a southern accent. No, nobody interesting does. Interesting choice.
0: <laughs> ben Mendelsohn fighting the, uh-huh. the good fight. Yeah, and Mendelssohn's character is actually like a kind of... He's sort of like obviously a very talented detective but doesn't seem like a cop at all but also doesn't seem like Monk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's just an interesting guy.
1: There, there are always these small moments that can kind of hook you onto something or push you off of the boat entirely. And for me, the moment was when... Uh, later in the first episode when Mendelsohn has gone to the gift shop and secured the art book secured that has the, the fingerprints. Yeah. And he runs into Jeremy Bob. And by the way, this show has Bill Camp and Jeremy Bob who are that guy all-stars when it comes to shows like this on TV. Love them both. So excited to see them working and squaring off against each other. So Jeremy Bob who plays, you may remember from The Nick, plays the um, investigator who's hired by Bill Camp's attorney. Mm-hmm. And he enters the hotel just as Ben Mendelsohn's character is leaving with the bag. Yeah. And he says, you know, they know, and, and immediately the intimacy is established just by they know each other's names. Sure. And he says, uh, what's his name, Ralph or something? Ralphie. Yeah. There, there wouldn't be a photo book in that bag, is there? And that one line and the way that's it's delivered yes. is classic Richard Price.
0: It also it, communicates so much experience between the two guys.
1: And history. Yeah. And the idea of the I don't want to call it a game, but the, the game board that exists in uh, police work and law, and trial work that is laid over the horrific emotional circumstances of everything, which is what The Night Of kind of was about, the workaday life of John Turturro over the one-person Riz Ahmed's character having an existential, truly, nightmare, which is also echoed by what Bateman says, one of the few things he says before he gets his lawyer, which is, you, you've you ruined my life. Yeah, you ruined our, my life. Our lives. Too. Yeah. And so... I mean, I want more of that. I want more of that kind of you know, banter again is the wrong word, but that that ease, that familiarity in the dialogue and in the characters. And I, I I'm actually surprised there are ten. I thought this felt like a like a tight six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: um I think that it does share a, another thing with the night of, which is that there is a little bit of commentary on crime fiction and and crime TV fans in there. Because when Ralph is preparing to sort of arrest Bateman, and even though I think you as the viewer know, oh, I'm pretty sure that there's something different going on here. Mm -hmm. This is a different kind of story. When he is making his sort of speech about like, I want everyone to see it. I want you to put the cuffs on on in front. And if he, you know, I want you to say it out loud so that everybody in the stands can hear what you're arresting him for. What he's done. it kind of like plays that with that idea of like what's our bloodlust as mm-hmm. a society and what do we want to see and when it comes to justice. So yeah, I I can't wait to keep watching it. it. We'll we'll keep talking about it on the it, show.
1: It made me want to consider other cross-genre mashups, mm-hmm. like Scott Derrickson, who did the Doctor Strange movie and had done horror movies and has now left Doctor yes. Strange too, which is I'm sure something we'll talk about when we do our next Iger counter or whatever. So a guy who does horror doing a detective story. Yeah. You know, like I, I love that. I mean, obviously, my brilliant idea was just reversing the two categories we already had. Yeah. Which is a state of, I think that, that, that as much as my, the way my voice is sounded during this podcast speaks to the state of the head cold I'm experiencing. <laughs> but I do, think, um, I do think that's exciting, particularly within TV. And that might be something, this is just a, the tiniest opening to, to, for a, con- a larger conversation we should have. But, okay, so a, a dark 10-episode crime procedural. What's the secret sauce? Right. What's the extra thing? On
0: well, it? let's talk about it next week when you've
1: seen the second and third one. Okay, so I'm I'm watching two two episodes. <laughs> next week. Uh, also, before we before we wrap up, yeah, it's going to be a busy week for your boy watching stuff because Chris, I haven't even said these words on mic, but the Pope, the new Pope, is, the back pope tonight. is back Yeah, I mean, words cannot express how much I love the young Pope, and this is this is Sorrentino. So maybe
0: on Thursday we could do the Pope.
1: We should. Okay. I'm very excited about that. All right. And then and then Avenue Five, the new Armando. That comes Inucci on on Sunday. Yeah. Show premieres next week with you, Laurie. And Curb uh, Your Enthusiasm is back. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lots of
0: stuff. Okay, Greenwald. Thank you for coming in.
1: <laughs> this is this is my podcast. Look, I come here.
0: I just don't. I feel like you were wavering a little bit on the fascism part today, so I have to it's consider true. some things.
1: It's true. I, I will prove my antifa bona fides, <laughs> just to get back to you, but. But the truth is, um, I have a double booking because Rogan wants me.
0: All right, Concepcion's coming up next. Talk to you guys soon. (laughs) Bye. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Real Real. Own iconic luxury items at unreal value with The Real Real. The leading reseller of authenticated luxury consignment from top designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Rolex, Cartier, and hundreds more at up to 90% off retail. Shopping consign women's and men's luxury fashion and streetwear, as well as fine jewelry, watches, art, and home. New arrivals come in daily, and every item undergoes the Real Real's meticulous authentication process. In fact, the Real Real employs over 100 brand specialists, gemologists, horologists, and art curators from around the globe who inspect thousands of items each day to ensure that every Item is authenticated. Shop luxury the sustainable way. Go online, download the app, or visit one of the stores in Soho or West Hollywood or their newest location at 870 Madison Avenue in New York. Consigners, try out the Real Real's white glove service for free in home pickup today. Shop in store, online, or download the app and get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. That's therealreal.com. Promo code REAL for 20% off select items. All right, now I'm joined by Jason Concepcion. It's been a minute. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I wanted to talk to you. Well, we could talk about the second episode of The Outsider. Andy and I talked a little bit about the first one. <laughs> yeah. And then I also wanted to talk to you about a book that we both love that I just oh, finished. Man. Finally, the Patrick Rad and Keith book say nothing about the IRA and the troubles. Uh, but let's let's do the second episode of The Outsider first. Sure. Uh, twist. <laughs> uh, yeah, was not uh, ready for that.
2: Was not prepared for that.
0: I was kind of like, it's going to be weird that Jason Bateman's just doing two prestige shows. Yeah. And I kn- know Ozark's coming back relatively soon, I think. And they already just put the teaser out. And he does yeah. so much on Ozark. But they shot in Georgia. So I was like, maybe he right. did double duty. I don't know. And then we found out, oh, okay.
2: I, I, really fascinating twist. Gut punch, and I can't wait to see how they rebalance the show. Yes, considering the way the first episode is just uh, uh, obviously and necessarily so heavily based on his performances, and it seemed like that would naturally carry over as we try to f- figure out what exactly is going on here. Right, but yeah, wow, I I, I can't wait to see to see who kind of steps up and fills these voids.
0: Did you have any expectations going into this? Like, did you had you read the book? Had you read anything about only- it? Had not read the book at all.
2: was kind of uh, uh, versed in what the general gist is, but once I saw that this was coming out, I uh, kind of very studiously attempted to stay away from any kind of information about it. Which
0: is, like I think, the best way to do it. I mean, kudos to HBO for putting both of these episodes up last night. I do think that probably asking people to watch about two hours and ten minutes of TV on a Sunday night after a football weekend is probably a bit of a reach, but... It would have been interesting to see what would have happened if they had put this up next Sunday and then like all of a sudden people are like, so Bateman's not on the show? Right. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like you were talking right before we were, Andy and I were talking about this too, this idea of this collision of genres between yeah. that Stephen King kind of horror, which is always this thing that's just out of touching distance, just out of sight, which is like, what is this evil that's like lurking right. in the sewers or right. lurking in the car or lurking in this dog? It's evil that's like found within and then this traditional Richard Price cops and robbers crime fiction.
2: Uh, yeah, I found uh, it, it was interesting because like the presentation aesthetically, this is like a horror film with these like slow establishing shots and like slow pull-ins to characters sitting in rooms and you're you're uh, where they feel small against like the forces arrayed against them, and then. The first episode, particularly, it felt like a stew that hadn't quite congealed yet. You know, so yeah. like you've got the horror element. It's very distinct. And then you've got the Richard price uh, investigators talking to each other, you know, cops, cop banter kind of feel that's also very distinct. And they hadn't yet uh, gotten together. Episode two, it, it felt more of I understood where the tone was going. But it, it was the collision of those things is a really interesting and a not anything that I've really experienced before. I, I remember thinking, like, gosh, what chance does any of us have in in this world if not only do you have to have a really good lawyer who believes in you, <laughs> yeah. but that's the only way to defend against uh, demons or some kind of shape-shifting, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> elemental creature who is, like, uh, really dedicated to framing you for a crime. Yeah. Uh, but it really opens up towards the end of the of the first episode and the second, and it's a really fascinating direction. I, there's also the feel of like, you know, like Cynthia Arrivo's character has not been introduced yet, and yeah. it really feels like that's going to really propel the show, you know, towards its ki- kind of turn, so uh, it feels like a waiting period until like that happens.
0: Yeah, I think I, I've watched it a little bit ahead, and I would say that there, there's a couple of shows within this show in terms of, and I, I think it's actually fascinating, but you'll, I think you'll find that Different characters kind of take over the role of the lead character in different episodes mm. of the show going forward. What do you what is it if, When somebody's just like, why would I like Richard price? Like, what do you tell them? Oh man. Uh, it's
2: a complete immersion in a particular point of view and a particular world that is comes complete with its uh, own natural language that feels so lived in and real. And even though the kind of lingo that that Price's characters use isn't necessarily the kind that you you might uh, encounter in real life, mm-hmm. it feels real and natural and vibrant in a way that that is um, makes you think about certain things that have happened in your own life that that mirror events in 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 his books. Yeah, I, I just think he's he's. One of the foremost dialogue writers that we have.
0: I was, uh, I'm doing an episode of The Big Picture later where we're talking about 1917, me and Sean and Amanda. And I was, so I was watching a lot of like Deacon's interviews this weekend, Roger Deacon's interviews. And he had this quote where he talks about um, there's a difference between pretty cinematography and good cinematography. Mm. Like, pretty cinematography isn't always good, um, and good cinematography isn't always pretty. And it, I feel that way about Richard Price's dialogue. It's like, Good dialogue isn't always realistic dialogue. Yeah, yes. You know, and the way people talk, I think we always sort of, you know, when people praise dialogue, they're like, oh, it's like the way people really talk. Well, no, right. nobody really talks like a Sorkin character. Right, nobody right. really talks like a Amy Sherman Palladino character. Right. Um, nobody really talks like a Richard Price character. I mean, it's nobody an does. artful rendering of a kind of language that's spoken between professionals in the same industry. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like these guys who are like, these these men and women, and, and if you read The Whites, which was his sort of attempt to do, like, a hard-boiled, like, mass paperback a couple of years ago that wound up being just another great literary yeah. crime fiction uh, novel. One of the weirdest uh, turns is, like, Richard Price being like, I'm going to release this under a different name. Right. Because and it's a genre And novel. he was like, I'm going to crank one out every, like, ten months. Th- right. Yeah, right. And then
2: none of that really happening. Yeah. And him just being a, actually, this is just a Richard Price a, book. just yeah, becomes like, like yeah, yeah,
0: it's like a Moby Dick of crime fiction. <laughs> yeah. Um his so I, I I am obviously like already in the bag for price. Yes, me too. we've talked I think like on and off here and there about Stephen King, but Stephen King is somebody who I think I'm incredibly aware of and weirdly have ingested a lot of his stuff. Yeah, but kind of have like a ten percent part of me that's like is a sort of bullshit. Uh,
2: I get that, you know. For me, uh, King is the magic of King is his dedication to really like simple, almost incredibly stupid ideas, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like, what if this car was haunted? Yeah. Kind of thing. And I think the combination of Price, bringing Price in to kind of ground these ideas in in, in something that we can grab onto, cops talking to each other, you know, an investigation, uh, drama between, uh, you know, small town folk, was really smart. And it's only just beginning to work. I think, from what I've seen into the as we go into the second episode, the cop banter stuff, like the um,
0: between like Tamika
2: and Jack and yeah, so, yeah that kind right. of stuff, it yeah. really crackles. Or like when they're driving
0: up to go get him at the at the yeah, I was telling and, Andy about that, like like the the whole like cuff him in front, so cuff him in front, like see. all yeah. that
2: kind of stuff is like oh yeah, that's that's Richard Price, like right. flashing the tin on the job, all this kind of like Richard
0: Price, I've done a. F- a million ride-along lingo. The Patty Considine character, yes. the strip club manager. That's definitely Richard Price. That feels yeah. very like his rendering of like a guy who's barely hanging on yeah. by a thread and is still sort of like attached to the underworld. Yeah. But then you bring that to King, and King's idea is essentially um trying to explain evil, often with metaphor. Yes. Often with like, what if evil was rendered in this place or that place or this thing or that person? And this show is trying to get to that. They, they're trying to find the meeting point between those two things. And while also exploring the idea, some some crime fiction ideas like the wrong man. Like yeah. What if you were wrongly accused?
2: To me, the absolute most terrifying moment in these two episodes was when uh, D.A. Uh, Esper, is it? Mm-hmm. Was, you know, uh, talking to Ralph about, and and Esper has been, the whole time has been like like i don't give a shit about this other video i don't care what he says like we've got him we've yeah. got the dna we've got the fingerprints we got multiple witnesses we it, it, like what else do you need this is the guy get on get on the team get on the train with this yes. and stop bringing up evidence that would exculpate him and then finally like when the when the break happens and the da is like hey there's stuff that that people don't can't explain yeah. and that happens all the time you know like a, a, a world war 2 squadron Goes entirely missing after flying into a cloud. And like that to me is that, like, if I'm in a room with like the top law enforcement official, like in a town who starts talking about like UFOs and disappearances, I'm like, oh, f- yes, shit. Yeah. But then, like, the thing with King is like, what if that were the case? Mm-hmm. So I think that is really fat. I, I, you know, every time Bill Camp shows up on the screen, I'm like, yes, great. Like, more kind of like investigation procedural stuff. And when that, I'm I'm just waiting for that to slam into this supernatural element.
0: Yeah. And then you have like the whole element of like I think when we watch older crime stuff, even stuff from like the 90s. Yeah. You'll be like, "Oh, well, does this fall apart if you have a cell phone? Does Die Hard fall apart if there are cell phones? Yes. You know, does everything that we kind of thought was like a really cool mystery or a really cool thriller essentially fall apart if you have modern technology?" And this this show is actually taking into account the constant documentation of our lives that is yeah. happening and that Terry Maitland would be filmed at all these different places and actually plays into it with his whole with his behavior at the train station of him like looking up at the camera and yeah. stuff like that so it really is that idea of like well if there's this constant unbreakable evidence that you're in this place what if there was evidence that you were in another place at the same time like what what would that do to the criminal justice system
2: i think that is that's kind of like the core of. That's pure Stephen King to me, which is like, okay, what if you had a double mm-hmm. that was just out there mm-hmm. doing stuff, looked exactly like you? Um, the actual like detective stuff where Anderson starts going, man, this seems, you know, this seems like, strange. Like oh so, so he commits the crime is seen by numerous witnesses covered in blood and talks to them mm-hmm. walks into a place makes a phone call <laughs> calls a cab there's already a cab outside demands that the cab driver log the call yeah like isn't there something that's the kind of stuff that is really um is you know like I'm a, I'm a sucker for a detective story and I and the idea of a very rational reasonable investigation that turns on What if there's this weird demon out here? Mm -hmm. um, Is something that I can't wait to see happen just because I'm not sure if it can work. Well, I I really want to see what Richard Price thinks of that. Yeah, because
0: the whole idea of Richard Price's books and Richard Price's fiction and his screenplays usually deals with the flaws in humanity. You know, it's not, you can't explain it away by saying, it was the devil or it was a demon or it was an other. It was like, it's always like your frailty. It's always, there's some weakness in a person that made them do that. And also oftentimes there are like institutional factors that make them oh, yeah. criminals, you know? And that's what, that's what Lush Life's
2: about, you know? The fascinating thing about this in terms of uh, Price's work and how it fits with this is, it's exactly right. Lush Life is about a guy who, appears to be the prime suspect in a murder Mm -hmm. but actually isn't it was you know and then but is
0: behaving but is
2: behaving that way and then you have clockers which is another story about a, a you know a young drug dealer who may or may not have been involved in the murder of this other person and then it's a lot of like mistaken identity stuff like what okay well it looks like this evidence points here but then what if it doesn't but then The thing about Price is he always lets you down in a a very realistic way. With Mm -hmm. Clockers, not to spoil it, but um, you spend a lot of the book thinking that it's not this character and then it turns out to be. With Lush Life, it's kind of the opposite. You spend the whole book basically believing that it can't possibly be this character. Um, To the point where that character himself is like, God, what – he's he's so in his own head about what happened that – Even he is like, what did I, like,
0: what did I do? Right. And also, like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Yeah, right. um,
2: That it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when, you know, Richard Price all of a sudden has to grapple with this uh, supernatural turn.
0: Yeah. I I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. And we haven't really talked about Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn's sort of the perfect actor to do that. He can do the hard edge, like, really believes in what he's pursuing, and he can also do, like, doubt really well and so he's like a perfect protagonist for the show
2: i I would say the other thing is like you know stephen king for the most part uh, there's a few notable exceptions really nails his endings he's whereas richard price who i love more than anything his his books kind of just kind of peter out Mm -hmm. so how does that
0: yeah when you think about the night of and you (laughs) think about it just kind of like it just, oh.
2: Yeah, it just kind so of like, like
0: nine people's lives got ruined, and now this guy's smoking drugs under a bridge. That's
2: it. It yeah. just kind of like dissolves. Yeah. People just kind of go their separate ways. Whereas King, like, it really, for the most part, I think the Stand is a notable example where everything just kind of falls apart at the end. Really, it hits you with a hammer at the end of mm-hmm. his books. So I, I, that's that's another interesting kind of like tension between these two creators. That that's, will be really interesting to see how that turns out.
0: Can we talk a little bit about Say Nothing before you go? Sure. So Say Nothing, I just wanted to chat about it briefly with Jason. It was released last year, I believe. Yep. Patrick Radden who's a New Yorker writer, mm-hmm. uh, and written about the IRA in the magazine, I think. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what part of this book was in The New Yorker, but there I remember reading like what I think wound up being an excerpt from it, and writes this basically pocket history of the troubles mm-hmm. since the late 60s, early 70s, through 2013, about 2014, covering largely like these, about half a dozen characters. The book itself is more or less concerned with the disappearance of a woman named G. McConville, who is a mother of 10, who one night was abducted from her apartment in like a projects in in Belfast. Right, she
2: was either a snitch for uh, the Unionist forces against the IRA, or it was a a tragic case of misunderstanding.
0: Miscommunication. Miscommunication. And it's the theme throughout the book is the amount of, since so many kinds of communication at that time period in that area were like about plausible deniability and about, well, there's another section within the section who only knows what this person is doing. Right. It's essentially, they talk a lot about how, Raddenkief writes a lot about how, over the years, the IRA went from being an army to more of a cell structure mm. so that there were three or four people working on one thing, but they didn't know who else was working on anything else in the IRA. And then a lot of it, so it's about this, uh, the disappearance of Jean McConville and the suspected murder of Jean McConville, her family. And then it's also about Jerry Adams, who a lot of people know as the head of Sinn Féin and, yep. and for a long time was the sort of face of the troubles, I think, for a lot of people in America. And these two sisters named Dolores and Marion Price, mm-hmm. who were involved in the IRA RRA in the 70s and in different ways moved in and out of Republican politics and Republican, the Republican cause throughout the next few decades. And there's a lot of other characters. There's a whole thing about, you know, for anybody who wants to read, I don't want to spoil it because it does have some twists, but it's, it's a fucking remarkable book. It's,
2: it's, it, it puts its hooks in you immediately yeah within a page and a half um and then the fact that you know i was i'm broadly aware of the mm-hmm. troubles and 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 the issues uh, surrounding northern ireland within it and its political relationship to the uk uh, but it I, this throws you into the deep end of these issues in a way that just like hits home in a and it is extremely visceral and powerful. Like yeah. It, it, you just can't imagine. It, it almost boggles the mind that this state of affairs, essentially like open combat between two uh, shadow armies, was a thing that was happening like in the civilized world. Not like at somewhere far away, but yeah. literally in Ireland.
0: Yeah. Like in a the UK st- throw from London and the and that that conflict washed up in London it washed yeah. up you know in some ways they talk about fundraising going on in Boston and in New Yorks and in American cities that went on for the Republican army and it's just such a fascinating it, it, it's it's actually really relentless like the book yeah. itself moves really fast and it'll kind of do these digressions to kind of explain a little bit but you realize it's all building towards something and a lot of it is about how do we essentially deal with memory when yeah. so much of of a conflict is based on secrecy because this was a conflict that was both on the um unionist and on the republican side being fought with so much skullduggery yeah. with so much spycraft with so much um basically like off the books killings yeah on both sides and it's essentially about the disappeared of this country and people basically eventually stepping up to be held accountable for it, and this project that Boston College undergoes to to account for it.
2: Which which turns into almost like a debacle in, in a certain sense. So uh, as you mentioned, Boston College uh, put together this project where they were collecting oral histories from the people directly involved in this um, and, and and locking them away in a vault, mm-hmm. so to speak. Unfortunately, once... It came to light that there was this fault with this material. People started getting interested in what was yeah, being said. People there. started getting interested in, in what was said in there. The legal protections involved in in shielding the people who took part in the project and the people who who assembled the project were kind of like not really that thought out. And all of a sudden, this stuff starts coming to light. I think the thing that I really that is really stuck with me from reading this book is is what does it mean to fight for something. Um, How do you? What does it mean to fight and to bleed and to lose people for a cause? How do you translate that into peace? When the actual goals of what you're fighting for, ejecting a much, much stronger power from this very small area, is basically impossible without a political setup. And when you
0: ask people to give everything for something, what do you do when you're not giving everything back? Yeah, what do you do when the goals of your fight which was essentially a unified Ireland and the ejection of the British forces from Ireland what do you do when that's not exactly the end point yeah yeah you have peace you largely have peace you know what I mean you have a power sharing agreement but you don't have exactly what people thought they were fighting for So
2: Adams and is, a lot
0: of people who are just like this is not what yeah this is not, I not what I died for. for this is
2: not what what, yeah, what we starved ourselves for this killed is, people for killed people for killed people that maybe we shouldn't have Adams is a magnetic figure throughout this, even because of his – it's impossible to pin him down. Mm -hmm. It's quite obvious that he was directly involved in many of the things that went on, that he was uh, the shot caller, so to speak, for the IRA. And yet so much of the political piece that has followed the Good Friday Agreement and that led up to it is based on him personally – Putting forth this premise that he was never involved in the IRA Mm -hmm. and had nothing to do with it, which flies in the face of, like, testimony by multiple people, like, were involved, actual
0: evidence at the time, etc. I mean, some documentary evidence of him (laughs) basically talking about it, right? Like, other interviews where he's just like, I I work with, you know, I don't know if he's ever been explicitly like, I'm in the IRA, but, like, there's this speech that he gives in the book where he's talking about, about the kind of relative peace that they're experiencing, and somebody says, "Bring back the IRA," and he's like, "They never like, left. Yeah, they never left." You know, and it, it's like, "Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is." Sometimes in 2020, it's pretty easy to be like, "No one's ever been as fucked as we are right, right. now," and you will look at what the behavior of some of our leaders, and yeah. Then, when you read some of this stuff, you're like, "Oh yeah, this is actually a play. There's a playbook for this. there, there, there is. It's a
2: fascinating question. If you could bring peace to your." The struggle that your your colleagues, your brothers and sisters in arms are fighting and bleeding for. But in order to do it, you have to basically trick them into it. Mm -hmm. And then you yourself have to lie about your involvement. And you have to lie about your involvement for the rest of your life. Is that worth peace? Yeah and that's what this that's part one of the questions that arises from this book and it's I, I don't know that i know the answer like if i'm jerry adams and i'm thinking and i'm looking at the toll of deaths and not just from the soldiers shadow soldiers and actual soldiers in uniform uh, that are involved in this but like you know normal people uh, people walking down the street who get caught in a bomb yeah. you know people upstairs from a from a bar that could get bombed when I look at the costs and I think I, we can stop this through a political settlement, but I have to basically trick everyone. And then my, me, myself have to live a lie. Is it that worth it? And right. I don't know the answer to
0: that. Right. And I don't think the book has the answer, yeah. but it's, it, it's, it's such a fascinating book about language. It's such a fascinating book about, um, it, designations. Like if yeah. you, if you just say like you and I, here we are, you, me and Kaya. And it's like, well, if we commit a crime, then we're just criminals, right. If we commit a crime in under the banner of a political cause, are we political criminals? Right. Are we political soldiers? right? Should we be treated as soldiers under the Geneva Convention? You know what I mean? Like, and all these things that the envelope was really pushed on with this with this conflict, Added to which, it was taking place in and around these major European yeah. and major you know, United Kingdom metropolitan areas, where you would just be at the supermarket, and this would, this stuff would be happening. You know, so it's such a great book. I I can't recommend it more highly. Yeah, um, same. What else are you what, are you what are you rocking with right now? The light is at the end of the tunnel with Star Wars. So right, what? That's do you, right.
2: I'm reading. Uh, I just started. Mark Bowden wrote uh, *Black Hawk Down*. Most mm-hmm. notably, he's got a history of the Battle of Way during the Tet Offensive that I'm reading. Oh and wow, yeah, in, the
0: 1960 way, 1968. Not, yeah. Way 1968 really good. Uh, it was supposed to be a Michael Mann miniseries about that. I don't, I don't know if they you can, whatever happened with that.
2: In much in the same way that you could, as you read Black Hawk Down, you could understand how how you would want to adapt it. It is the exact same thing with the way he takes characters from both sides and elevates them into the narrative and weaves that against the backdrop of, like, you know, geopolitical strife and history. And then I'm reading poor people's protests, like the history of nonviolent struggle and
0: why they fail and why they succeed. It's just 19- some light so, reading. Just some light reading. Okay. Concepcion, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, we'll be back on Thursday. Thanks for listening to The Watch.